0: What's up, horror fans? Pete here from the Lassercast, and here we talk about movies and streaming shows that are all horror. And uh, I'm with my very good friend over there, Doctor Says God, Danny Torkel. Both Danny and I are uh, members of the Fangoria Horror Community Facebook page, and I love it. I think Danny loves it too. One of the posts that was on there, Danny, I think you probably, maybe even answered it, was if you could have dinner with two horror people, I'm assuming horror filmmakers, you know, that are alive, who would you pick? Did, did you answer that question?
1: I, I didn't, but now I'm thinking about it. Uh, that's, it, it's an interesting one. Um, Who who would you pick?
0: I, I wrote my answers. <clears throat> my answers were uh, Keith David, because I love Keith David's voice. I think he's so cool. I just would love to talk to him and hear him talk. The other person I think you'll think is pretty obvious for me, but it's Guillermo del Toro. Now, I love Guillermo del Toro. I also love to hear Guillermo del Toro talk. I love his voice, but I also just love the brilliant things he says. Mm-hmm. Um, I,
1: I I was watching some of the video that you shared with me. Yes. Which I wish you would have shared over an hour before. I, the, right. Because it was an hour-long interview with del Toro and Isla Lopez. Right. And I I copied down. He does this one... He, 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 like he's a comedian. He says this one thing about she says that this movie that we're going to talk about, Tigers Are Not Afraid, is like, was her vomiting her soul. And then he goes into, well, that's good because in order to vomit, you need to have eaten all of that stuff that needs to be inside of you Mm -hmm. in order for you to vomit it out. And he goes, too much much of the movies that are in theaters today are dry heaves. And I thought that was such a friggin' great line.
0: That is excellent. Uh, And I
1: think that her saying that, like, this movie was her vomiting up her soul and his way of putting that, that, you know... In order to really make a deep movie that has personal ties to you, it has to be the stuff that you've consumed uh, to then come out of you. I thought that was just a fascinating uh, use of language uh, there. To get back to your question, the first thought that popped into my head was just a nice, fun, casual dinner with Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel.
0: Oh, there you go. There you go. That's an obvious one. Yes, the The Lasser cast. Right. Good call. <laughs> yeah. Um, The reason why I brought that question up is because you're talking about this video I just shared with you where it's Guillermo del Toro talking to Isa Lopez. And he's basically asking her about this movie that we're talking about today, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Now, when Guillermo is talking to someone else, I'm usually just sitting there waiting for the other person to finish so I can hear Guillermo talk. Uh, Cause he's so interesting, but Isa Lopez kind of dominates the conversation because it's her movie, but I feel like she is super interesting. And I'm so very glad that I found that clip and I'm so very glad that she's doing true detective season four night country. You know, there's been a lot of talk about like, especially like on Reddit and stuff, there's all these dudes that are like, Oh, season one is good. This is crap. And they, you know, they don't do this right in this season. And it's, it's just really starting to get on my nerves I, what's I, I, what's interesting
1: I, about that is apparently this is like the highest rated true detective on Rotten right. Tomatoes. Yeah, it's got like a hundred percent Rotten Tomato review from critics, which is the highest, even higher than season one. Yeah. But then, right at the same time that I saw that, I saw a really discouraging quote from Nick Puzolato or Pizzoludo, the the creator of. Yeah. True detective right. who like kind of slapped down at this season and said he thought it was stupid that uh they were trying to connect it to you know that that there were you know spirals and things that are connecting it to season one. And Isa Lopez very classil- classily was just like, Well, I loved his material and I wanted to make it my own, and he's entitled to his opinion. And you know, like she she handled it with class. But it, it is a very, you know, we, we talked about this in our True Detective episode three review a little bit, how it feels like there's in this, you know, even though it's very well regarded, and a, a lot of my friends love it. And we And We talked about it, you know, at work. We talk about yeah. it when I'm hanging out with them on the weekends. Right. The online community seems very split, seems very divisive. And, you know, does that just come back to the simple fact of like, female creator plus female leads equals backlash
0: right yes
1: (laughs) sadly it might be yeah but um yeah i love this season uh so far and it's because of this season of true detective that we're covering this movie today
0: yes and i mean it's not even i think it even goes further because it's female mexican creator versus white male creator you know, white and and you see this like in Star Wars, see this in comic books and stuff, where it's just like if a person is not a white man, you usually get pushed back, and there's some sort of disdain, or like they, they point out the flaws or issues a lot more when it's not a white man that's behind the scenes. Now, Isa Lopez, what's really interesting when you start watching that video, which I, I, I urge you guys all to seek out on YouTube, it's her and Guillermo del Toro talking about Tigers Are Not Afraid. She talks about how her early career was making romantic comedies in Mexico. And then uh, she basically pushed to make this movie, which she sort of uh, every day made herself write a scene before she got out of bed. That was like a thing that she uh, wanted to do and, you know, made this movie. It's interesting because this movie, I feel like it's a conservative's wet dream about Mexico. Like, this movie, it feels like a post-apocalyptic movie, but it's set in Mexico. Now, right off the bat, I want to show that my ignorance about Mexico is is pretty deep. Uh, And I live right next to Mexico. I live in Texas. But, like, my knowledge of Mexico is essentially based on people that have lived there and I know, that I work with, and then also movies. And those movies are, like, Sicario and The Devil's Backbone and uh, shows like Breaking Bad. So that, that's like the, the white equivalent of saying like, oh, well I know America, uh, it's winter's bone and, uh, you know, tales from the hood or something, you know, <laughs> like it's not accurate.
1: Yeah. My, my aunt, uh, was, uh, my, was married to uh, a Mexican man. My, my cousin is half Mexican. Um, and yeah. I still see my former uncle. Uh, I actually got to see him last year when I was in Phoenix. Uh, and, and, he you know him and my nephew go at uh, my nephew him and my cousin you know they go back and forth to Mexico all the time and they always talk about how great it is and maybe it's the history teacher in me I you know I've always wanted to go to Mexico just yeah. to like you know find the you know historic Mexico City uh, built on Aztec you know cities with Aztec temples and I always wanted to go and do like a historical tour um but yeah, you know, it, it. it is one of those places that, you know, when we see it portrayed in film, it is usually the dark, gritty, uh, criminal side of Mexico. Yeah.
0: Yes. And so this movie is kind of relentless with how dark it is. There's little small bits of innocence, but for the most part, it is like the worst kind of rumors or dark tales you could hear about mexico that's like this whole movie and uh what's amazing about this movie is the cast there's a couple of interesting things i learned like going through the imdb trivia and uh just like the wikipedia and stuff but basically from what i learned from the imdb trivia these were all kids that have like zero acting experience they weren't shown the script before they would film like they basically like would react kind of authentically to what was going on around them uh, and that the movie was set in chronological order. So like, I mean, they, it was filmed in chronological order. So like they kind of experienced every scene, the kids, considering they have no acting ability are pretty fucking amazing. Like Paolo Lara as Estrella. Yes. I,
1: so I have a fairly long history with this movie in the sense that this movie came out in Mexico in 2017 it wasn't released in the United States until December of 2019, uh, and it was a Shutter exclusive. It's still streaming on Shudder. And so, before we spoil anything, if you've never seen this, if you're into True Detective, Night Country, go watch this movie. It's like 83, 85 minutes. Yeah. Um, as you know, Bong Joon Ho said at the Oscars, if you can get your your if you could live above that one inch mark of subtitles. You will you'll find a, an absolutely amazing film. Uh, I saw this at this was one of the I think this might have actually been the first time I ever went to the IFC center. Oh, uh, cool. a, a theater that I have since joined. And now I'm like a member of, because I end up going there so often. I'm actually going there three times in the next week for their Dario, uh, Dario Argentiv retrospective. Uh, I'm going there nice. tomorrow for Inferno, Monday night for Tenebrae. Yeah, very exciting. Um, I saw this late at night, um, probably like a nine o'clock show at the IFC Center a couple days before it hit shutter, And it absolutely blew me away. 2019 is one of my favorite years in movies. It was yeah. one of my favorite years in horror. Yeah. Uh, I actually dug up and I sent you like my my old Geeks of Doom. When I was writing for Geeks of Doom, I wrote a, a review of this movie, a standalone review of this movie, where I just showered it with praise. And it was also my number one horror film of 2019. And it and it and it was above Doctor Sleep, which is one of my all time favorite. Movies, dang, that's
0: Uh, that's saying a lot,
1: and I continually brought up that this may be the greatest child acting I've ever seen in a film. Uh, especially the two leads, Paulo Lara, who plays uh, Estrella, and what do you have the the name of the the boy, Uh, Juan Juan Ramon Ramon. Lopez, who plays uh, Shine uh, or Shine? They are just mind-bogglingly good. And when you find out that this is the first time they've ever been in anything, it blows your mind. Because that's like the old adage is you never work with animals, you never work with children. Right, And to find children who had never worked before, to take to be the leads in a movie that is this dark and this bleak and this demanding of them, physically right. and emotionally, is Absolutely amazing.
0: Yes, completely agree. And uh that was one of the things that Isa Lopez said in, in the interview with Gibbon del Toro that like they had to stretch out the shoot of the movie. The movie was like 36 days to shoot, but they had to stretch it out because you can't work with kids for a certain amount of time. Like there's legal constraints for how long you can work with child actors too. But the kids are fantastic, you know. Um, there's a fairy tale quality to this movie, and um There's innocence to these kids, but then there's also this hardness. Like with Estrella, it's not that she's like this mean person, but she's so desensitized to all the craziness. Uh, We can kind of start going into um, spoilers at this point. But very early on in the movie, there's a scene where she's in school and there is a gun being shot off screen And everyone drops to the floor because they know what's going on. It's not that kind of moment where they're like, is that gunshots? It's just like they know automatically drop. And um, it's just like kind of standard practice in this setting of this movie. Now, when she's on the floor, there's this part that kind of ties in the fairy tale aspect. She's supposed to write an essay about uh, like make a fairy tale story. And then her teacher, who's also on the floor trying to not be killed gives her three pieces of chalk and she says these pieces of chalk represent three wishes. And then you can make three wishes, right? I guess basically to make uh, Estrella not feel scared. It, it, it's so funny because like she seems desensitized to everything around her. And then Shine is this young boy, this little kid that I could see in one of my schools that I work at. And he you know, is trying to essentially be a gangster, right? He's in a gang and he's acting like a tough guy. And in a lot of movies, you have this kind of scene where the gangster kid kind of breaks down, and they they kind of like they want their mom or something, or they 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 become scared. They kind of show their colors. But this kid is just like throughout the whole movie, this, he this is badass kid
1: hardened,
0: yes, hardened yes.
1: by the world around him. And Estrella too, like she goes home. I just want to make a quick comparison to like the life that we live as educators in America, where it's sure. like school shootings are this horrible, unfortunate reality that we deal with. Yeah. But when they happen, it is still shocking. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't be. But like, so in my school, just a few weeks ago, uh, we had a two plus hour soft lockdown slash hold where there was a threat of a weapon, turned out that it wasn't as serious a situation as we thought but a weapon was on campus and we had to shut down and and basically hold students in the classroom for over two hours wow and the way we deal with it in like an american classroom and i'm in new york you're in texas it's like everything stops it's just like okay lights off door shut locked and you know We, we hold our breaths and we hope that this blows over and we're not one of these national news stories. This just felt like Tuesday for Estrella.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And the teacher
1: where it's like, all right, everybody, the gang, you know, the cartels are murdering people outside, everybody down. She walks outside after there's a body on the street. She just kind of like, there it is, turns and goes the other way. She goes home. And her mother isn't home, and there's hints that her mother has been kidnapped and killed by the cartels by these gangs. And she just kind of sits at home, she doesn't react. And it's and it really kind of fuels that desensitized.
0: I can't talk, desensitized.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That that, and her and Shine, especially, uh, have just been completely desensitized to this level of horrific violence at such a young age. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. The idea that like Sheena goes through this whole film and he never really has that breakdown moment. The, I want my mom. I, I want, you know, I, I'm really just a kid moment. He's hardened until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's kids younger that they hang out with and, you know, Morrow and, and, it's just fascinating. The, like it, you, you get these kids who effectively, it reminded me of like Peter Pan's Lost Boys, almost the idea that, you know, it's like this found family that they, their yeah. families are gone. And instead of just, you know, dying out, they're going to live together. They're going to support each other and they're going to live together until they get caught by these horrible people around them.
0: Yes, yes. And it's funny that you bring up this Peter Pan comparison because there's a comic called uh, Peter Panzer Faust. And it's actually like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, but it's like during World War II. And it's like children in the World War II setting, like of a big city that's been bombed out. I I can't remember which city it is. But that's what this movie feels like. There's almost no one in this movie. There's barely any people besides these kids. It's like these kids... And then just like empty streets. And then there's a bus driver, you know, I was going to
1: say, and then there's a random bus that's picking people up and you're like,
0: okay. And and then there's like, there's
1: outside of the, the opening scene in the school, it's basically these kids and these gangsters and a a confluence of circumstances that continues to bring them together. Uh, A stolen cell phone, a stolen gun, uh, a cell phone that has incriminating video, uh, but yeah really there's it's a it's a very small cast and yeah yeah
0: and we should point out that one of the cast members one of the villains is actually a guy that's in the fucking mcu though i think because of recent allegations he's not uh gonna be in it much longer you you did, he did Wait just a reaction
1: minute. i i honestly did not even realize that el chino
0: she el chino yes is namor or namor they call him namor in uh
1: oh, oh my goodness. Forever. wow talk about a, a mind-blown moment i had no idea and i just re-watched the movie and i'm staring at him and i'm going oh he's good he's so freaking intense i had no idea and yes. yeah there are allegations against him so we don't have to spend too much time but i that that really blew my mind right now i, I didn't
0: even realize that yeah yeah so uh his name is tencho huerta and he's uh the more in Wakanda forever in this movie, he's El Chino. Who's kind of like the main gangster in this area. Uh, One of the, which
1: is is especially scary because he's the politician running for office. And he's the unabashed murdering gangster. Right. uh, In this, he, he he kidnaps women and children. He murders sometimes his own gang members murders, women and children. Uh, there's a really funny moment towards the end of the film where one of the kids uh, sees him in the flesh and goes, I'm not voting for him, which I think is like such a a funny line in such yeah. a, you know, like bringing levity to, it's something a kid would say. It's like, yeah. you know, not understanding how serious the situation is. So yeah. let me kind of make a joke in that moment.
0: Right, yeah. right. Uh it's it there are moments like that, like levity within all this, like sort of madness and and violence. Um, I mentioned to you last night that there's a movie called City of God, which takes place in a part of Brazil uh where there's a lot of crime and and poverty, right? And um I, I recommend you go check it out when you can, but there's similarities between the two, like you know, there's a scene in here where the kids go up to the cops and they literally show a man committing murder, like uh, uh, torturing someone and committing murder on a phone, and the cops are like, get out of here, kids. Like, they, they basically don't want to get involved. Um, you know, there, there's, like, so many scenes where it's just a totally different world, and you're not used to it. And that's why I wanted to keep watching that Guillermo del Toro, Isla Lopez video, because I wanted to know how much of this is an exaggeration, how much of it is almost like fantasy, because it's so over well- the top. And then how much I, is like this? I only happened?
1: got to watch the first 15 minutes of that. Ditto. But yeah. Del Toro mentions, he said, like, this is, he does say, like, this is Mexico. And, like, you could be out to dinner with your friends and you walk outside and there's a shooting next door. Yeah. And so, you know, th- th- there's obviously these filmmakers lopez and del toro have seen you know obviously the country of mexico is not this movie incarnate right but there are certainly parts of mexico that embody this film just like there would be parts of america that would you know if all you saw of american film it was like you said winter's bone or uh you know uh, menace the sopranos, to society, or, yeah, society, yeah, or yes. the Sopranos. Right, you, right. You would think, oh, that's that's what all America is, and obviously it's not. But that stuff does exist.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And growing up on Staten Island, I was like, oh yeah, the Sopranos kind of is America, you know. But um I was gonna say that I just mentioned that there's fairy tale aspect to it, which is like the unrealistic part, and that's mainly focused on these three wishes that Estrella has with these three pieces of chalk. Now she uses those three wishes throughout the movie. Um, and they, you, you mentioned this, cause we've talked about this movie a couple times. When we talk about true detective, you've mentioned how it's like one of those movies where things could be happening in reality and it's explained by reality, but then it could also be explained through fantasy too. So like every time she makes a wish, it kind of matches up with what's going on in reality, but it could also be written off as see her wish came true. And, like, her first wish is that her mother comes back. And that really lends itself to the horror aspect of this movie. There's stuff that's in True Detective Season 4 that remind me of this part of the movie. There's stuff in um, uh, Devil's Backbone and also – because, you know, obviously there's a connection. There's there's some DNA between her and Guillermo del Toro. Uh, you know, Crimson Peak. Th- there's that sort of horror trope of – the dead are scary and they're scary to look at, but they're essentially helping you with the more evil living, you know? Well,
1: yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's to me, this is it, it. Del Toro is the King of monsters exist, but humans are the scarier monsters. Exactly. And there's no better film for that than Pan's Labyrinth. Right, um, right. The, the general in Pan's Labyrinth is one of the most evil characters ever put to film and he is more evil and scarier than the pale man who has his eyes like right, this and right. eats fairies. Right. So, you know, um, and this movie reminded me a lot of Pan's Labyrinth sure. in a good way. Like, even like there's a point where it almost feels like there's like a little kind of fairy leading Estrella around and like she holds up the phone and the the it like hops into it and yes, yeah, gets on the bus with her. Right. And like they're you know so it and and we talked about this again with our true detective review last episode the fact that and you you just kind of hinted at this the idea that things are happening in the real world but there also could be a supernatural element here it's very obvious that there is a supernatural element but it also could just be manifestations of these kids imaginations and the right. fact that at the end of the day, these are children living in a, in a bleak, miserable existence who are using their imaginations to, you know, just get by hour by hour. My favorite scene, maybe in the whole movie, uh, is when they talk about how they're going to go to a, a house that has a, a zoo and a soccer field. Yeah. And then they find this like abandoned home where a fish tank broke. And the fish and all the water falls into this, like, broken, like, piece of land, uh, earth where, like, the water pools. So the fish are swimming in, like, the sidewalk almost, or like a piece of the ground. Right. And they're like, oh, my God, look, it's a zoo. And then they go upstairs and they find, like, soccer a balls. bunch of soccer balls. And yeah, and that. And it's like, that's... again, how much of that is their imagination? How much of that is reality you know another part of that interview i saw was like you know both of them isa lopez and guillermo del toro is saying like she said not every part of the movie makes sense not every part of the movie has logic and he was like yo yeah he's like if you go to the movies and you're sitting in the movie theater going i need this movie to make sense maybe you should go see another movie like
0: yeah oh god and
1: and and i think that's one of my biggest like bugaboos with a lot of films, and this is including a lot of films that people love and are critically acclaimed is yeah. I hate when things are spelled out for the viewer. Yeah. I hate, I call it like the sledgehammer of subtlety where it's like, this is what the movie's about.
0: Right. Right. Like, right. Like,
1: I, I, I could have figured that out for myself. I didn't need every, every question answered. You know, yes. I feel like questions being answered is better for television where you're making a long-term investment. Uh, You're, you're, you're showing up week after week after week for by the time a series is over, it could be literal hours or days or weeks of your life. Yeah. And that's where I want my questions answered sure. in a, in a, in, in a 75 to 140 minute movie. I just want you to tell a good story and make me think about things. And I think this movie does a great job of that. And I think it kind of goes along with what both of them were saying in that interview.
0: That, that is a a really, really good point that movies are much more brief than an entire season of a TV show. And they're much more brief than like a a novel that might be like 500 pages or if we're going Stephen King, a thousand pages you know, you want certain answers after so much dedication, but a movie is a much more brief thing. It's like listening to a song. Hey, you know, and 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 Isa Lopez, like Yelmo del Toro, is an artist. You know, they're making art. They're, they're a lot more concerned about, like, the imagery and stuff than, like, they have to pedantically explain everything to people. So, yeah, that's a really, really good point, man. Like, um, there are some really awesome visuals throughout this movie, and it only costs, like... 1.6 million dollars to make so like some of the visuals um there is a line of blood that kind of you know uh goes either behind estrella or kind of guides her at different points in the movie i love that effect it's so simple it's so basic but just a line of blood it tells so much um there's also like a gun that shine has stolen from a gangster named uh Kako and uh it has like it's it's kind of a cool looking gun it's got like a 666 on it it's got snakes and like the snake comes off the gun at one point and slithers away i love that and that's once again another scene uh where it's like okay well in reality we can explain what happened essentially chino kind of lets on that he killed kako um but then in uh estrella's mind she feels like she did the wish that she didn't have to kill him. And that's why he's dead already. She, she, you know, and and, her
1: wishes, those chalk pieces end up, are they're almost like monkey paws. Yes. Yes. You get the wish, but it's not what you wanted. You know, I want my, like when she says, I wish for my mother, my mother back. She wants her mother to come home. She doesn't realize her mother is dead. And that she's like, you know, her corpse is now coming. Like in this, like ghostly visage. Uh, when she's saying, "I don't want to have to kill Kako," you know, for her it feels like she's by wishing that you know she's now putting his death on somebody else.
0: Right. Right.
1: And uh, it's you know it, it that that feels very monkey paw esque, you know.
0: Yes, and and you know what? We'll get to that third wish and how tragic that third wish is too in a couple of minutes. But we should talk about some of the sadness in the movie too because you know we are dealing with child actors we're dealing with death there's a number at the beginning of the movie and goddamn i wish i had fucking written it down but they basically talk about how there's all these missing people i mean it's in the hundreds of thousands i think uh of missing people in the beginning uh, during the drug war and they say that like the number isn't even uh counted for kids the idea is that like there's this many women that are missing. There's this many men. But then like for kids, they don't even count that number because there's so many kids. And um, there's just talk throughout the movie of like what happens to these people when they're killed by the gangs. or you know Their, their body parts are sold and the people eat their body parts. And, uh, you know, they don't really go into any kind of idea of raping and stuff. But they say like something happens to the women. You know, there's all this horrible stuff that is alluded to. And then we do see a child get killed or actually see multiple children get killed on the screen. But the first one, which is a very sad one, is there's this boy named Morrow, who uh, Kako and, and his group come after. Well, not Kako, Kako's brother. They come after the kids at one point to get the phone back and to get the gun back. And then they are shooting at the kids. And then Morrow, this little kid who's like younger than my seven-year-old daughter, shoots one of them in the leg, but then they shoot him right in the kind of stomach chest area. And it's, it's really sad because he's such a cute little kid, you know? I uh,
1: it again, like these kids acting just blew me away to, to have to deal with scenes that are that heavy.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, that also, uh, just the scene where they like grab his body, they take it up and they, Yes, yeah, uh, they like have like a, a makeshift funeral for him. Yeah. Uh where when the other boys leave, now Morrow effectively comes back as a ghost, and that's where we get, you know, another uh great little effect, which is the uh the tiger stuffed animal. Yes. It kind of comes to life as a guide for Estrella for the rest of the film. Yeah, showing up in the vents at the end and leading her to where she needs to go, Um, and I love that. And I love the 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 title of the film, and how it keeps coming back to that, and how it keeps circling back to that. Um, This idea, and it goes back to that opening scene in the classroom of like fairy tales, and you know princes and princesses and fairies and wishes and warriors and tigers, and it's like, oh well. And they say, you know, tigres no tiene miedo. You know, tigers don't don't have fear. Tigers are not afraid. And Shine is supposed to be like the tiger for the group. Uh <clears throat> but Moro has a stuffed tiger and that and there's all this graffiti on the walls that at right. times like the graffiti starts to move and come yep. alive. And yeah, it's just Fantastic imagery throughout, like it's so so simple, like you said with the bloodline. So simple, but so effective in the way it's done.
0: Yeah. 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 I love it. And and the uh the stuffed animal that you just mentioned, the tiger that's moving around. Like this is a movie that has like a million million dollars, million and a half dollar budget. And they have this like CGI tiger walking around and you know, they have like corpses going, you know, I think moving around.
1: I think it was actually like, I think they actually used like a practical stuffed animal for a, some of those
0: scenes at least. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And maybe they use like computers to kind of like get rid of any kind of kinks or stuff. But uh, no, I mean, it, it's all really good looking considering how small the budget is. And you mentioned that graffiti and it's funny because we kind of keep talking about how it's just these kids. And it's like this sort of like almost like apocalyptic setting uh, at one point. Two of the boys, which are kind of like the comedic relief of the group, they have like shoe shine on their face and they call it war paint and like shines like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you just have shoe uh, polish on your face. But that's that kind of feeling, whether it's because of the actual literal war between countries, whether it is like a drug war where it's like cartels and there's not any kind of like government control or like police control and it's just like crazy crime chaos. Uh, or it's like a literal apocalypse where like the world has ended. Like I kept thinking of like the last of us when I would watch this too. Wh- whatever the case, you you see the same kind of imagery where there's like graffiti and it's basically like people sending messages to each other. This is our territory over here. These yeah. people have been here and they, there is a mural for this kid Morrow at one point where it shows him leaving the group with his little stuffed animal and his sad little face. So, I mean, it's kind of amazing that I just described three different ways that an apocalyptic setting can happen, and this movie has one of those settings, you know? And then it's it's funny, too, because uh, like 30 Days of Night has that kind of apocalyptic setting, too, even though it's like in America in a modern day. And then I feel like we have like the beginnings of that in true detective season four too. what, what, what I was going to
1: say, I, I was waiting for you to bring it back to night country. Cause like, if you swap out Mexico for the, you know, or you know Mexican culture for the indigenous culture right. of Alaska in right. Ennis in true detective night country, it right. does feel very similar. Yeah. Um it feels like there are a lot of you know potential crossover themes, uh, I- including like the the way the indigenous people are, yeah. you know, completely being violated and the you know the the cave and the mines and the, and the, the water turning black. Uh, it, it feels the, the you know, the, the thing that we brought up about how it's it's realistic violence that is taking place, like kidnapping, you know, women being abused. Uh, but at the same time, also, uh, there is a supernatural element. So it does feel like there's, uh, and we're only three episodes in, you know, episode know. four drops tomorrow Tonight. night. Oh,
0: tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, did you see Wind River with uh, Jeremy yes. Renner and uh, Elizabeth Olsen? Yes. Right? So, so I, I love Wind River and it's kind of like these movies that are all made by the same guy that made like Yellowstone. I don't give a shit about that, but but I love that movie. Uh, and that's another thing that reminds me of True Detective Season 4 a lot. It, and it's it, that and this movie really focus on how like women just seem to like just they're just disappear in these kind of settings. And it, it like it almost is like they don't even try to, try to keep track. Like, in, in the case of Wind River, they do this thing about how they talk about how, like, indigenous women go missing, and people don't even go to look for them, right? And that that's kind of like in True Detective Season 4, where Annie Kay is dead, and they just kind of write it off, and they don't investigate further. You know, so there, there's similarities between those two. And then with this, it's like children just go missing, and there's no force trying to, like – save them or, or stop them. No,
1: I mean, there's the one scene where Estrella saves Morrow and he's in a cage and there's other kids in there, but also it's also, you know, bringing up the women, you know, her mom was kidnapped and murdered and tortured by Chino for no apparent reason. Right. Um, And, you know, at the, the climactic horror moment of the film, you get this scope of just how many not only how many people are killed but how just like it's it's just it's not even a thought in these criminals mind it's like so many bodies it's like up oh, here's another dead one wrap it up in plastic throw it in the murder room and we'll just disposable. leave those bodies there to rot forever Yep. And it's, it's a room full of the, the the literal stench of death, as you can see the characters. Yeah. And, you know, the, it just, it, it really makes you think about what life is like. And again, I, I thought about the, you know, and it's something I wouldn't have thought about four years ago when I first saw this movie, but it's something because of the fact we're watching true detective i'm thinking of like the indigenous people uh, the indigenous women in night country and right. um uh, that that scene where in the last episode where they go to the like indigenous section where it's like the law doesn't matter here you're on native land so you, you know unless you have a warrant get off my land yeah. and it it reminded me of like scenes like that uh yeah it's just I, I just like restarted the movie just to see it was like 160,000 people go missing and like countless children. Yeah. Countless it's children, crazy.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super disturbing. And that kind of brings us up to the, the the final death of the movie, which is pretty upsetting. It's, it's upsetting, but it's also like really well done. Right. So we get to our final wish and shine who he's kind of had like a adversarial relationship with Estrella throughout the whole movie, you know, it's revealed eventually that Estrella did not kill Kako. And, uh, you know, then the, the the kids in the group call her a liar because she claims that she did kill him. Uh, they don't want anything to do with her. He's trying to get rid of her and not have her be a part of the gang through the beginning of the movie. Then eventually they bond. He's the one that discovers that Estrella uh her mother is the woman that's tortured in the video that's on the phone and he goes to show her right um he he uh has this like she she makes a a claim she's like what if my wish could get rid of that burn on your face and at the very end of the movie she takes that last piece of chalk and she makes an x right there and it's it's so well done because it's like she's literally putting a fucking target right on his face And then to literally be like, well, the X, the the burn is gone. It's because he shot right there in his face at the end of the movie. And it's, it's, it's upsetting, but it's also like beautifully done where I'm like, okay, I I accept that. You know what, what do you think of that part?
1: I remember like, see, I remember sitting in the movie theater and like jolting when that happened because the the bloodline comes like shooting through her legs, hits him in the foot and you start to, and I'm like, and like my head is not going fast enough. So like my head is going, oh, they're not going to kill Sheena. Oh crap. He's dead. And, you know, again, it's that idea that you're, you're not used to seeing children die until you're watching a movie where it's just part of life. And you've already been through Morrow's death. Right. But then you know the the idea that like death is not the end, in yeah. you know, and that you know the 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 morrow came back as a ghost and and guided her, and the tiger helped guide her, and now you know Sheene helps uh, guide her towards the end, uh, and then there's the 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 tiger at the end, uh, which I I thought was such a great little touch um and i also wonder if like she was on the like set with that tiger if that was like <laughs> like I, here you I go did, first time 10 year old actress <laughs> here's a giant tiger
0: <laughs> I, I actually d- did have the exact same thought i was like is that an actual tiger there is it just like cgi in there with her um so even that is uh explained though right because don't they kind of say that chino or they say that someone had a tiger at one point too, right? In the town, right? That he would feed people to him. I think they say at yeah, the beginning, something
1: like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so that it kind of explains why an actual tiger could be there, not just fantasy. I mean, obviously, I take it as like metaphorical. But the part that I didn't really get, Danny, and and maybe you could explain it. It's kind of ironic because you're talking about how you don't want movies to like Beach over the head with the meaning and stuff. But like, she opens the doors at the end, and it's like the last shot of the movie after Chino has gotten his uh, justice by being in the room with all the corpses and the corpses kind of come to life and Shine even, like, lights the corpses on fire. Um, She, like, walks out into this, like, beautiful field. Now, how did you interpret that?
1: So, I'm not 100% sure. I took it as, like, the end of, like, this dark, the darkest, like, moment. Like, she was fearing for her death. Her mother she saw her mother's corpse and her mother's corpse, like ghost helped her uh, survive. And, you know, all of her friends are dead and it's like just a complete, like I can start a life, a new kind of thing. Yeah. I also kind of thought maybe she, and maybe she was killed
0: yep. in okay. what had happened. Okay. Okay.
1: And we don't know. And like, maybe they didn't want to uh, show that. And that's Issa Lopez's way of like hinting that Estrella died and this is her opening, you know, to a beautiful, you know, heaven. Yep. I did see an article that was like, uh, Issa Lopez talks about the original and the much darker original ending. Oh, okay, okay. And again, maybe maybe it's in that hour-long interview where she talks about that. Yeah. I we didn't get I didn't get up to that yet, but oh. I'm going to look I'm going to look into it a little bit more. Um, maybe she was supposed to die on screen and that that was, you know, her way of interpreting, you know, the end of her life. I don't know that those are my two that it's either her imagination that, you know, Chino's dead. She got closure with her mother and she helped shine at the end, even though he, you know, he's dead. And it's just like her imagination is allowing her to see beauty in the world now. Yeah. Or she died. And that is her, you know, opening the door to the next life you know those those are my two takes i'm sure neither are correct (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) yeah yeah well honestly i had those same interpretations as well um you know spoilers for pan's labyrinth but you know pan's labyrinth always kind of struck me as like wow in the real world the little girl dies and then in the fantasy world she you know kind of has this fairy tale ending that's i saw kind of parallels to this as well yeah i was like go ahead I, I took
1: Charlotte to see Pan's Labyrinth uh, yeah. not too long ago. They did a screening of it at Nighthawk Cinema by me. Yeah. And I forgot just how little fantasy is actually in that movie.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. Like,
1: the fantasy scenes are few and far between. They're yeah. amazing mm-hmm. when you see them. Right. But it is essentially just a brutal war movie. Yep. And, like... I was almost taken aback by how like dark and bleak it was. And I, I remembered that she died at the end, but just the idea that like she gets her ending in the fairy tale, like it with pan and with her parents. Yeah. And I could totally see this being an homage to that. Right. or it was something in that, in that vein, um, for Estrella. But again, I, I, I'm fine not knowing I'd like to read more just cause I happen to like be doing some research in the last 30 minutes or so before we started recording. Right. Uh, so maybe I'll, I'll find that article I saw and see like what the darker bleaker ending was.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'm actually going to put the articles that you wrote for Geeks of Doom in the description of this video. So if people want to read your uh, two articles that you shared with me. And you know, I think I'll even tie in this Isa Lopez-Guillermo del Toro interview. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, you should put the link in the description so people can watch this video.
0: Yeah, man. So uh, I've actually really enjoyed talking about this with you. I was looking forward to this, especially like the more I learned about this movie. I was like, shit, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really glad that you re- recommended this because uh, yeah
1: when you told me true detective season 4 is like kind of a horror thing and there's it, and and I was seeing people on on twitter mention the thing and I was like oh do I have to watch true detective season 4 and yeah weeks ago when we started talking about this as like the potential next show we're going to cover right you were like oh yeah it's not connected to any of the other seasons you can just start watching it Right, And when I saw her name in the credits, I did like a backflip internally. If I tried to do a backflip, I'd, I'd be in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, but like, I was like, holy shit. Like Isa Lopez is not just, it's not like she directed the first episode, which is yeah. what I thought originally. She created this whole season yeah. and writes, co-writes and directs every episode. And I'm like, holy shit. Like I was such a fan of this movie that immediately hooked me into wanting to watch the show. And then I was hooked on night country from like 15 minutes into the first episode. I was yep. like, Oh yeah. Okay. And you know, like, <laughs> even those like moments of levity that we brought yeah. up in tigers and not afraid. You see that in night country also like the oh, quirky back and forth dialogue between uh, Navarro and Danvers and how like, they don't like each other but they're also like extreme sarcasm to the point of like dark comedy it, it they it toys with that also and and Issa Lopez started making like romantic comedies and comedies you know which is strange given what she's now known for over the last 7 to 10 you know 7 or 8 years since yeah. uh since tigers came out
0: yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, you know, you can talk about romantic comedies and, and like she talks about in this interview how that was how she was surviving as a filmmaker for a while. But then she had to make this movie and she essentially went up to the producers and said, look, I'm going to you're going to decline this movie and that's OK. I'm going to take it to another group of uh, filmmakers and they're probably going to decline it as well. But then if they do make it, they're going to get the rest of my romantic comedies that I'm going to make too. And she said that romantic comedies are like a staple of uh, Mexican culture, like that there's, that there's that's a big genre over there, romantic comedies. And, and, and one point I want to bring up that's just so funny, uh, Guillermo del Toro, like right around that time, he says that there's basically two types of movies. You remember what he says? He says like movies, movies that-,
1: that wake you up and movies that put you to sleep.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And this movie is absolutely a movie that uh, wakes you up. It, it woke me up to Isa Lopez as a talent, and now she's definitely on my radar. Isa, if you have watched this video and you like what we said, we would love to have you on the show. I know that's a long shot, but we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, Danny, what do we have coming up on the Lasser cast?
1: Uh, Well, uh, we got more for <laughs> Detective Night Country. Uh, yes. And- um, I'm going to be uh, reviewing Shudder just released, I think just now, I, I can't check on my TV but I think it is up on the Shudder uh, on Shutter now, the Dario Argento documentary Panico um, nice. which I'm going to be watching and reviewing and nice. then uh, I'm going to be doing some short reviews of uh, some more Dario Argento films uh, that I go and see in the theater uh, for this big Argento retrospective that's happening at uh, IFC. Uh, really excited for Monday night uh, because it's the Shutter Showcase and they're showing <clears throat> Tenebrae, which is one of my favorite Argento films. I'm seeing Inferno Tomorrow, which oh. is low-key my favorite of uh, – I, I think I might like it more than Suspiria. Uh, nice. So I'm, I'm super excited to see that on the big screen. Uh, so yeah, uh, I got, so we got, we got more night country, more Isa Lopez content, and then we got some Argento content and then, uh, we'll figure it
0: out from there. Yeah, man. So if you guys liked this video, make sure you subscribe to the lastercast cast and we will see you guys real soon.